Thank you very much, sir. Hi, everybody. I'm Sia, and I'm an alcoholic, too. And uh, I want to welcome the new people. There's a bunch of you here. I'm glad you're here. You may not be glad you're here, but uh, I was in a lot of trouble when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, and um, I, I'm doing well now, real well, and it's because of AA. I used to live on planet Earth for beer, and uh, I have a different kind of life today. And I want to thank Carrie for inviting us to share here. Uh, my sobriety date's January 30th, 1983. And uh, I'm grateful to Alcoholics Anonymous to invite me to tell you what you did for me. Because the thing is, if I'm not going to remember the remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the night before, how am I going to remember it for 37 years? You know, you are my rememberer. Mine is busted. And uh, Alcoholics Anonymous does a lot of things for me. And that is one. When I tell you my story, I'm the person who needs to hear it maybe more than anyone else in the meeting. I never have to live like that again a day at a time. But if you're new, it is a day at a time. And it's a wonderful chunk of time for an alcoholic like me because when I came in, I was completely overwhelmed with all the problems in my life. Andrea described many of them. They were too much for me. And uh, if I focused on that, I couldn't stay here. I absolutely couldn't stay here. Uh, I would say to you as a human being and as an alcoholic, I think I'm a booby-trapped individual. I think my compass points to hell. For some reason, I'm wired in a way that I'm not going to get it right. In fact, I'm going to trip over the tripwire itself. I don't know why that is. It's just the way it turned out to be. And Alcoholics Anonymous is the place that got me out of that uh, pattern of living. I'm going to tell you what I used to be like, what happened to me, what I'm like now. And if you're new, I want to give you a kind of a, uh, the bar is low in Alcoholics Anonymous. And what I mean by that is Bill Wilson, one of the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, was either agnostic or atheist, depending on what you read about him before he came into the program. And he became so desperate about his drinking, as Andrea described, that he became willing to go to the enemy. He went to a highly religious organization hoping that he would not drink by going there. And so if you are willing to go to the enemy, which is kind of where I got to this time in Alcoholics Anonymous, then I think that you'll be able to grasp and develop this manner of living. And as Andrea said, it is a manner of living for me. I don't have a drinking problem. I have this other thing called alcoholism. It ain't a euphemism. It ain't a synonym. It's a separate thing. Spiritual malady is attached to it. It has significant undertow, and alcoholism is an illness of such unhappiness. And uh, drinking took that away for a while, and then drinking stopped working for me. And that was the conundrum I came into AA with, having no idea what you could do about it. I had tried everything I could think of. So what I used to be like was uh, I grew up in what I now call a normal alcoholic home. And... Uh, my father was the alcoholic. He said he was the alcoholic, so I will call him one. I was taught in Alcoholics Anonymous not to start slinging that term around about other people, but to pay attention to my own drinking and to ask myself, when you drink, are you unable to determine when you're going to stop? Are you unable to control the amount you drink? That kind of thing. And uh, we were working a program in my home. We were not working a 12-step program. We were working a program, though. I don't know what you'd call it, but everybody was very busy in that home. There was a lot going on there. 
And I did not have the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, but uh, I saw some of the things that we talk about in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I saw powerlessness in my father. I didn't know that word, but here's the thing. My dad was a big guy. My dad was six foot seven. My father played all American basketball in Madison Square Garden. He had some uh, noise in the newspapers. He was a great athlete. It didn't matter that my dad was a great athlete. It didn't matter that he was six foot seven. It didn't matter that he was a noise in the world. It doesn't matter if you have prosperity. It doesn't matter if you have alcoholism bores through it. It doesn't matter. And uh, my father lost a couple of things because of alcoholism. First of all, he lost most of his material possessions. And I lived with him. I know he didn't want that to happen. I could see that. And the family goes down with the alcoholic. You know, we have the sister program, Al-Anon. It's a family illness. It ain't contagious like the thing that's keeping us indoors right now. But you know what? I think it's spiritually contagious because it affected every single person in my family. And as I said, we were working a program, but it wasn't adequate. So uh, my father also lost his place in our community. Alcoholics do because we're unlovely in our cups. As Andrea described, we're a danger on the road. We should be removed from our vehicles. We should be removed from our jobs. We should be removed from our families. We should be removed from society. Jails, institutions, and death. It isn't because we're bad people, but we're sick. We're powerless. And when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, you said, that's a reason, Sia, but it ain't an excuse. There's things that you can do in Alcoholics Anonymous so that you don't have to live like that anymore. And I am so grateful to you for that message that you carried to me. And so uh, I'm gonna talk a little bit about my spiritual malady because I had spiritual malady. If you wanna call me sober before I picked up my first drink, I hated sobriety. And that's why AA is so important to me as a living program. I uh, am a person who did not feel a part of. It's what I used to say. What I'll say to you now from this side of my sobriety is I wasn't identifying in the places I think normal people do. <clears throat> That's language of Alcoholics Anonymous. We say the fundament of AA is one alcoholic talking to another. And I, I identify here. You are so much like me. And if you've never seen me before and you're alcoholic, you know my story. The details of our stories are different. The bottom is the same. It's terrible. It is pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And uh, so how I felt as a kid is like I didn't identify with my family. My family were very nice looking people. My dad was a handsome man. My mother was beautiful. I was this tall, skinny thing with buck teeth and scraggly hair. That's a direct quote from a police report. But I didn't need the police report. I already knew I had this distinct feeling that I was not a part of my family. And then I'm going to talk about how it got worse. And it got worse in kindergarten. I peaked at five. I went to kindergarten. And you know what's in kindergarten? It's these things called people. And I want to ask you what they're for. As Andrea said, they were looking at me like you're looking at me. And I became like a mind reader in kindergarten, just as she described. And I looked at these people and I figured they were thinking something about me, but I knew it wasn't good for reasons I never understood. I felt like dirt about myself as a kid. And I began to take actions to confirm it. And the way I looked at this is there were too many of them. I was outnumbered. I couldn't kill them all. You know, that's how I react to things. And so my life was over in kindergarten. When I found out I had to be in the educational system until I was 18, I thought, this is terrible. I am a person I don't just over drink. I over marry. 
I overlike people who underlike me. I overdraft. I oversleep. Uh, it's just I underperform. I'm overscared. On and on. I cannot get it right. One of the people I was overmarried to one time said, "You know what, Sia? I think you actually are the angriest person I have ever met." To which I replied, "Well, that makes me angry because you know, without Alcoholics Anonymous, I got like two speeds. I'm going to blow my stack or I'm going to drink." And I was a little short for the liquor cabinet. I got involved with a gang as a kid. Some of us do. They were kind of a militaristic group. Some people call them Girl Scouts. What I'm going to tell you is that in Girl Scouts, I manifested the same qualities that I would manifest until I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. Defiance is my outstanding characteristics. Alcoholics Anonymous is not the first place I ran into that has traditions. We read the traditions tonight. Girl Scouts has traditions. Most organizations have them. And I made a point to let them know how little I thought of these things. And when they discovered I was doing something funny with their cookie money, Girl Scouts got together and they had a little meeting and they decided I no longer could, could be a Girl Scout. And so it began this fatal progression. The book describes that talking about our drinking. It says this is the beginning of a fatal progression. But in my case, you could have applied it to this pattern that took place in my life where every organization pretty much that I can think of that I became a part of uninvited me to be in the organization. And so it went. And uh, when I was 17 or 18, I had my first official drink. It was no big deal. It was in a local college watering hole. And uh, there were these things called people there. And I was afraid of them. But I was afraid of the drink. I wondered if something bad was going to happen to me like I'd seen happen to my dad. And so it was a choice between the drink or the people and the drink won out. I had a drink. And, and this was a beer. It was just no big deal. And what I'm going to tell you is I, I can't say if it was the first sip of this beer or the middle of the glass or the bottom of the glass or the bottom of the pitcher or the bottom of the evening, but somewhere along the line there, this big problem that I had all my life, this thing where I would look at you in kindergarten or in your family or in church or in Girl Scouts or wherever I would look at you. And I would wonder how come you looked so comfortable there because I was so uncomfortable. Where was my place? Where was it? Where was it? That's what drove me. That was probably my first obsession. And somewhere along the evening, that problem I had, packed its bag, put its hat on, and walked out the back door. And what I'm going to tell you is when you have a problem as big as that problem felt to me, and you find an answer to it, you're going to seek that answer as often as you can. And like Andrea, I began to drink as often as I possibly could. I started taking geographics. Suicide is a geographic. A lot of alcoholics take that geographic. It's the quickest way out of town for us. I've done it myself, but I'm no better at dying than I am at living. You know, I live in California. On a bad day, I'd get a bottle, park under a bridge. There's supposed to be earthquakes, and I just wait, you know, just hope. That's how proactive I am in my own life. Then there was a bad day, and I, like, overdosed. But that time, it was no dose. So, you know, we're still waiting. That, that's how I do it. And there's always those things called people telling you how you did it. I can't stand them, can't stand them. And so I started taking geographics. I grew up in Montana, we have reservations. I started drinking on the reservations because uh, the people on the reservation did not have my phone number. They could not call my family about my behavior. I am unpredictable when I drink as Andrea described it. I can be incredibly friendly, like take my clothes off friendly before we've even been introduced. Or maybe I'm going to come at you with a knife. 
and I don't even know what to do with the knife, but I have it in my hand and I'm coming at you. And I don't know why somebody didn't turn around sometime and say, oh yeah, but nobody ever did. And, and so I'm like that. And, and people don't want me around. They can't tell where I'm coming from. And uh, at this point in my life, my parents separated. And you know, my mom uh, was a single parent now and she probably had financial problems. There were kids younger than me in the house. Here's the thing I'm gonna tell you. It never occurred to me until I came to Alcoholics Anonymous that maybe my mom felt like her life was over. You know, never occurred to me one time. And when I drink, basically what I think I feel is hope. I never felt hopeful before from my recollection. Not the way that felt when I had a drink. And I'm gonna ride it to the end of the line. And so I stay out all night. And I came home one morning and uh, one of my brothers took me to task for behaving that way. And I don't know about you, but I don't let people talk to me like that. I'll kill you. I'll kill your whole family. I don't even care if you are my family. And uh, I got in a fist fight with my brother and my mom got caught between us trying to break it up. And, and that, was, that was too much. You know, that was the last straw. I am an unwelcome hanger on, unlovely in my cups. I am the X factor. And so my mom had to ask me to leave. And uh, in the interest of time, now I'm on a geographic in Beverly Hills. And this is how I positioned it to myself, because this is the part where my drinking started to be that thing the book talks about where you're whistling in the dark, because things stopped turning out as I hoped they would at the end of the evening. I started ending up with people I hadn't anticipated being with, that I hadn't vetted properly. I started ending up in situations I couldn't extricate myself from. I was having problems, that kind of thing. And so whistling in the dark to me means that uh, I was kind of dressing it up. I couldn't afford to look at my drinking. My drinking meant too much to me. And so I would say things like, you know, I'm drinking in Beverly Hills. And the truth of the matter is, I drank in Beverly Hills like for five minutes at the bus stop on my way to hell. And uh, I also was downtown. I was downtown at uh, a place that was called The Good Night. And it wasn't, so I wouldn't look it up. It was a rough bar. It should have been called Rough Bar. That would have been truth in advertising. And what happens sometimes when young women drink in rough bars, stuff happens. There was another young woman who drank in that bar. Her name was Debbie. And one night, Debbie ended up with her head blown off in the vacant lot behind the building this bar was located in. I don't know what kind of violence was in your drinking. This was not typical of mine. And it frightened me, as it should have. And it frightened me because of what happened. But it also frightened me because I'm a lot like Debbie. I am obnoxious when I'm drinking. I get between you and your drink. I get between you and your date. I get between you and your conversation, between you and your meal, between you and the bar and the show you're trying to watch. I create tension. There's problems when I'm around. And I recognize that it could have been me. And this is when I started to try to control my drinking. I don't know when you started doing that, but here's what happened. The same thing happened to me that happened to anybody who tried to control my drinking. I just started drinking behind my own back now instead of yours. And uh, it's kind of an odd way to position it, but that's what was happening. And here's what I'm gonna tell you, you know, as an alcoholic woman, things have happened to me. Things have happened to me that I didn't want to happen to me that I wouldn't mention in mixed meetings. I have used abortion for birth control. I'm not saying that to be controversial or bring up something distasteful. There were certain values that I thought I held and I did not have any of those intact that I can think of by the time I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. This is when I started to say to myself, you know, why don't you chill? Why don't you back off of it a little? Maybe you've had more than your fair share. 
and I could say what I want. I just kept drinking. And you know, the worst thing that's ever happened in my life, and I've lived a long time in sobriety, is the fact that I could not stop drinking when I wanted to. Because the thing that differentiates man from animal is the right to choose. And I no longer had that right. I was an animal. It was confirmed. And I just started watching my life go on without my permission is what happened. And a couple of things propelled me into Alcoholics Anonymous. First of all, I was burglarized around this time. I don't know why, but this was the last straw because I didn't notice for a couple of weeks. I mean, come on, who lives like that? I hated my guts now. I wasn't worth the paper I was printed on. The language in Alcoholics Anonymous is being in the bondage of self. I was in the bondage of self. The other thing that happened that propelled me into Alcoholics Anonymous is I looked out of the window one day of the place where I was living and I saw a guy walking down the sidewalk with a shotgun. I'm from Montana, I know a shotgun when I see one. And so when he crossed the street, came in the courtyard up the stairs to my door, I knew he had a shotgun. Now, I didn't know what he was doing there. I didn't know if I'd done something to him in a blackout and that's why he was at my door with a shotgun. I didn't know if it was the people that I lived with that had done something and that's why he was at the door with a shotgun. And to be fair, the people that I lived with could have said the same thing about me and they would have been right. I don't know what he was doing there and my mind was racing like Bill Wilson talks about in his story. I'd never seen this guy before as far as I knew. Maybe I'd done something to him in a blackout. You know, I, I, I just, it was a second that lasted a thousand years. I sat there very quietly on my side of the door being desperate. And it reminded me of that second or that two seconds or that three seconds when a drink is put in front of you and you don't want to drink it, but you know we're going to. It's that point in my drinking where I'm getting up in the morning saying, I ain't doing this again. I'm not going there. I'm not hanging out with those people. I'm going to change. I'm going to turn this around. And that's such a lie day after day after day that you hear yourself tell that you're so sick of it. You just drink to get it over with, to get that out of your mind. The, 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 the conflict of that was horrible. And, and this is how I was feeling. And when I heard the footsteps walking back down the stairs, and for some reason it wasn't my time, this is when I really wanted help. I, I don't know when that happened for you. Here's the problem for me. I'm not a helpable person. I was not until I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know why that is, but there is something Bill says about children from alcoholic homes in the big book in the family afterward. He says children from alcoholic homes are pathetically cynical. And I don't know what that means to you, but I think that that was true of me because there were people who tried to help me. There were people who could tell I needed some help. And you know how I feel about those people. This is how I come off without a spiritual program. There was the guy with the little clerical collar that was going to tell me a whole lot about what's going on up there, and my relationship in the world and with God and that kind of thing and help me feel some ease. And then, then there was the person and there were several of these with diplomas on the wall that were going to tell me a whole lot about what's going on with my thinking and how my thinking can be managed and my conflicts and all of that can be sorted out. And then there's the person with the gun and the badge and yeah, you can arrest me and let's go. But you know what I know about every single one of you, you're just another lousy human being just like me. <laughs> you know, you, you can't help a person like that. I was unhelpable. Here's the thing about Alcoholics Anonymous if you're new, and I ain't here to promote Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't seek promotion. Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't ask for promotion. It simply asks us to tell you it's here. But here's the thing about Alcoholics Anonymous. When I came in here 
you said to me, just like I'm going to say to you, the reason I'm here is you're helping me. I need to tell you this story. You're helping me stay sober. That's what they said to me. They said to me, you ain't a charity case, Sia. This is an even playing field. My sponsor has been doing this longer than I and has experience in areas that are helpful to me. That's the only difference. You wanted nothing from me. I didn't know what to say. It disarmed me. That really around any objection I had. It was incredible that you could do that. One alcoholic talking to another. So I was sitting one day, leafing through the newspaper, waiting for the obsession of the mind to hit because that is what controlled my life at that point. That's what set the day. I have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind, according to the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, you know, I have an allergy to penicillin. And I'll tell you this, I ain't scoring a shot of penicillin again in this lifetime. I absolutely know that. But the reason that I absolutely will stake my life on the fact I also will drink again if I am not in Alcoholics Anonymous, because this is my third time in Alcoholics Anonymous, is because of that second feature of alcoholism, obsession of the mind, something I so underestimated. Because, you know, there's a little phrase in the book, the problem centers in the mind. And one day the penny dropped and I thought, that ain't located in a bottle. And that's not in the past. That's here. That's tonight, folks. It, I'm an alcoholic. I got alcoholism here. It ain't drunk. Getting drunk isn't what made me an alcoholic. There is the thing called the effect produced by alcohol. And I had that effect produced, and that is forever, and a day at a time. That's why I hang with you. So uh, I was sitting there le le leafing through the newspaper, and there was something about Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, it said that we, hang on, I have an, I have an intruder. <laughs> Excuse me a moment. Excuse me, darling. There you go. Good girl. Uh, it said that Alcoholics Anonymous is where you go if you can't stop drinking. They hold hands, they pray, they don't drink anymore. And I am telling you, the first thought that I had was that was as corny as hell. But then it was like somebody else said something, another voice, and it said, I want to go. There was something in me that wanted help, and it spoke up, and that got the swing vote. And so I went to this first meeting, and it was a daytime meeting, and it was a really nice meeting. And uh, there was a woman at the door who greeted me, and she gave me her phone number. She said she'd sponsor me. And I went in the meeting, and I sat up at the front of the meeting. And when the meeting started, uh, I got an attack of self-centered fear, just like in kindergarten. And uh, I didn't want to get up because I was too embarrassed. And embarrassment is one of a hundred forms of fear alcoholics have. And then I was mad. And so I just shut down. And uh, I didn't hear a thing in that meeting. I cannot remember a thing they said to me. I'd come to that meeting for help. And uh, I, I, got, I made a clean getaway. That's how I felt. I was thrilled to get out of that meeting, get away from you. I didn't take your damn book. I don't know your steps, don't know your traditions. I ain't calling that lady either. And uh, I'd come for help, got away. And then about two hours later, this weird thing happened. And what happened was this, that thing, that obsession of the mind that I cannot pay away, pray away, talk my way out of, negotiate, outweigh, hide from, that thing was gone. And, and that was never gone, as Andrea talked about. That was never gone unless I took a drink. And I had to ask myself, did you drink? No, I did not drink. And, and, and I was shocked by this. I was shocked by this. And I'm going to tell you, that's the dividing line of my life before and after. 
And I'm gonna tell you, I've been looking over my shoulder ever since. I was so grateful to Alcoholics Anonymous. Here's the problem though with that, with that experience. I came to Alcoholics Anonymous thinking I had a drinking problem. And if you think you got a drinking problem, AA will work great for you. But I have this other thing, it's called alcoholism. And as I said, it's not a euphemism. It has significant spiritual undertow and it is incurable and it is progressive. And uh, the only good news here is I'm an Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I left that meeting so grateful to you. And I thought if something comes up, I'll be right back. And it's like alcoholism heard me and obliged because I went along for two weeks on a pink cloud experience, as we call it. I guess I was rocketed into the fourth dimension. There's things the book said that I relate to now. I didn't know what happened. I was just thrilled and full of self-reliance in the second week. I went to a slippery place, as we call it. I met with somebody I always would get in a fight with, and it was no different this time. I got in a fight with them. And I don't know what you're like without a program, but I'm a resentment machine. I am a problem factory without the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I got mad as hell and I blew my sobriety. Then I came back to Alcoholics Anonymous because I wanted that thing to happen that had happened in the first meeting, you know, that surcease of the obsession. And I'd like to know what line you stand in for that cup of coffee. I had no idea and I didn't have your book and I hadn't talked to you. I didn't know there's a spiritual experience of the educational variety. And my alcoholism was bigger than my program. And I just slid out the door and I was out there for seven years teetering on step one, teeter-tottering on step one. And that was terrible. You know, it's been my privilege to work step one with you in Alcoholics Anonymous. I have worked step one when I wasn't in Alcoholics Anonymous. If there's no step two, I'll kill myself. As I've told you, I've done that when there's no hope, but there's hope in step two. And I was working step one for seven years and it got significantly worse. I was in London. Uh, it's where I ended up. I was modeling. It's what I called it. I don't know what you would have called it. And uh, I would not say I'm a functioning alcoholic. I don't know what you think about your alcoholism, but mine does not look functioning to me. And I'm in the I can't club. You know, in AA, if you're new, the shorthand for the first three steps is I can't, God can, let them. And the shorthand, God is a placeholder word in Alcoholics Anonymous, if you're new. Don't let that word scare you. It can be he or she or it in AA. We do not care what you call it. You can be an atheist and get sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. Jimmy Burwell solved that problem years ago. It's why we say a higher power. It's why we say God as you understand God. It's why we don't ask you what your God is any more than we ask you what the label on the bottle you were sucking on when you came to AA was. And so here I am in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, here I am in the I can club. And I've always been in that club. And I don't know how that worked for you out there, but it doesn't work that great for me. Out there, you can't pay the rent, they evict. Out there, you can't make the car payment, they take the car. Out there, you don't show up for the family, they file. It just doesn't work. You don't show up for work, they can you. And uh, I stayed out all night, I showed up for this job, and I looked terrible. Uh, not a vision for you, haha. And they took these pictures of me and they got them back and my face was bloated and my eyes were bloodshot. And you know what? They called the agency, they were furious. And that wasn't the first bad day I had as an employee for that agency. I walked down runways with my dresses on backwards. I walked out of my shoes and this was, that was it for them. They were like, get out, you know, just get out of here. 
and the Bank of England called almost at the same nanosecond and I owed them money and I thought I had a lot of money. And you know, this is the part in the book about you can't separate the true from the false. You're losing your mind. That was terrifying to me. And, and there's a thing in the book, it says, God's everything or God's nothing. You know when God's everything to an alcoholic like me, when there's nobody else to call. And there'd been a woman in that business who'd seen me in action and she'd broken her anonymity to give me her phone number and say she'd be glad to take me to a meeting. And that was the day I went back to Alcoholics Anonymous. This is my second time in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, here's the problem with that time. I did not know it then, but I was not surrendered. If you're new here, I hope you're surrendered. I don't know when it's anybody's time, but I had this thing called a list of demands. And there's a deal in the book, it says, there's a difference between a demand and request. And I expected if I was gonna be sober, even though you did that for me, that you would do certain things for me within a certain time frame. And you blew it, Alcoholics Anonymous, you did not make the deadline. And so I got a resentment against Alcoholics Anonymous. There's another thing the book says, there's one who has all power, may you find him now. And you know what? That day his name turned out to be Gerald because this guy Gerald was gonna buy tickets to take me out of the country on a geographic. And I'm ready for a geographic because I'm out of ideas. So I'm out of here. And, and we go to Gatwick Airport and Gerald buying the tickets. And uh, this was very inconvenient. I however feel my higher power interceded. You don't have to feel that, but I feel that just like the day I happened to look out the window and see the guy with the shotgun. That was convenient. This day, it was not convenient because what happened is the federalities came swooping down and they arrested Gerald and they also arrested the tickets. It's that thing in the book about take a trip, not take a trip. And you know what? I apparently did not have enough program for not take a trip because I went home and I blew my sobriety. And that is so predictable. You could set your watch to the fact I will drink again if I'm not an Alcoholics Anonymous. And I wasn't surprised either. But then I did something that did surprise me. I came back to Alcoholics Anonymous. Why would I do that? I had resentment against you. You had let me down. And I wanted to understand what I was doing there in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I didn't want you telling me and I ain't asking you. And I thought about it and I thought about it and I thought about it. And eventually what I came to was this, the thing I started, started with when I was talking to you tonight, identification. I don't know what meeting it was. I don't know what person was saying it. I don't even know what they said. But somewhere along the line, somebody was talking like I'm talking about their feelings, about their drinking. And I crossed that second invisible line in Alcoholics Anonymous that separates me from you, that brings me into the meeting. Because I would sit in the meeting and I wasn't there, you know, physically there, spiritually out there. And something had happened and I'd identified. And Alcoholics Anonymous became my home. And I had never had that feeling before that home feeling, that belonging feeling, that you give me an Alcoholics Anonymous, that life-saving feeling. And if I wish anything for the new people, I hope you find a place here. I hope you hear your story here. I hope you hear an answer here. I had to be out of answers to listen, but eventually I was. So I was in this meeting and there was a stranger there. I thought I'd never see him again and I was a little more forthcoming than I normally would be. I'm a big fat liar, liar, pants on fire without a program. In fact, a woman summed me up very nicely one time. She said, you know, I was going on and on about myself. And she said, shut up. She said, you're an alcoholic. So I already know all about you anyway. You are a liar, a cheat, a thief, and a whore, okay? But go in the meeting because you'll be sitting between the liar and a cheat behind the thief and in front of another whore, and you never have to be alone again. 
I guess that's how she welcomed people to Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, so I, I, I was in, I was in the meeting talking to this person, telling them more than I probably would have told them. They listened politely for a little while as people do in AA. And then they wrote a phone number down and they said to me, you know, Sia, if you got six months of your life to give, why don't you work the program as Bill sees it and not as Sia sees it? And they weren't being a wise guy about that. They just said it straight up. And so now I'm standing at the turning point and I'm gonna ask God's protection and care with complete abandon or I ain't, you know, as the book says. And I have stood with people in that moment, with new people, because AA gave me their number and I give it to new people. And I've said to them, I'd be glad to help you. And sometimes what they say to me is that they can't call. And what I know, because I have been with you and you've taught me about honesty, is that's the wrong verb. The real verb is you won't. And that's a life or death decision. Because you know what I know? I can dial a phone. I know that I can dial up a Zoom meeting. I know in times when we have face-to-face -face meetings, I can get in my car and come to you. These are things only I can do for my sobriety. You know, there's a division of labor in Alcoholics Anonymous. There's the things only I can do. And then there's things only God can do, whether it's a group of drunks or good orderly direction or something, something else, we don't care. But it's only my job in some instances. And uh, I felt terrible. There was no friendly direction, as Clancy used to say. And you know, that worked as an ace in the hole for me. And if you're uncomfortable, I'm really sorry, but I'm telling you, that was a building block of my sobriety. With no other offer on the table, I dialed the phone that day, and I will close with this. Uh, this was a hell of a 12-step call. It's why I do not worry about newcomers on Zoom, because I got 12-stepped on a phone call, okay? And I don't call strangers, and I called because I just had no other idea. And I think about the doctor's opinion, Dr. Silkworth. And if you're new, Dr. Silkworth was a benefactor of Alcoholics Anonymous. He was not an alcoholic like Dr. Bob. He just gave service, alcoholic after alcoholic after alcoholic. I've never heard a story of Dr. Silkworth saying to somebody, it's too late for you. Let me try to help somebody that's got a chance. And this guy that should never have made it comes back apparently to thank Silkworth. And Silkworth says something in the doctor's opinion like, he felt like he'd never even met this guy. I don't know what that does for you, but it so struck me because come on, when you go to the doctor, they, they take your pulse, they have to touch you. You know, they listen to your heart, they're right there, they're talking to you. He'd never met this guy. And he said that the guy's voice now was vaguely familiar. It's just that now it was brimming over with self-confidence. And this is exactly what was going on on this phone call. This person I had never met who picked up my call, was telling me what they got out of Alcoholics Anonymous, what it was doing for them. Now, this was my third time to be now in AA. I had a bunch of information about AA, but what they were telling me they had, I didn't have it. And what they were telling me their life was like, I, I couldn't imagine ever having a chance for that life. I felt irredeemable at this point. I, I wanted what they had. It is why I still have a sponsor, because my alcoholism will tell me to go left some days still. And I need allies. I need a sponsor. I am so grateful to Alcoholics Anonymous. And with no other offer on the table, I just got on a plane and I came to Los Angeles on, I don't know, airlines or something. And I got sober in the Pacific group, you know, one alcoholic yelling at another. I love them so much. And, and they have saved my life. And meetings like this meeting, I know this meeting. This is a good meeting if you're new. It's people working a program, coming together to make a meeting happen. 
And that is what happened uh, with my first meeting with the Pacific Group. I, I think my time is up. Do I have two more minutes or should I close? I don't want to go over, so. We always have two more minutes. Two more minutes, thank you, okay. So I went to this first meeting and I just want to identify with the newcomer because maybe they're feeling this way. Look, these folks had been nice to me. They gave me a place to stay, they drove me to meetings, I didn't have a car. And I show up at this meeting, show up at the door, and on a quiet night, the Pacific Group Wednesday night meeting has like 600 people. Well, that was too many people. I got an attack of self-centered fear. I come all the way from London and I don't know, these people didn't look like alcoholics and I just wanted to get out of there. And the guy that gave me a ride noticed I was having a little psychotic episode. And he said to me, well, you know, you're here. You might as well stay till the end of the meeting. And I thought, that's easy for you to say, pal, you got the car keys, you know. And I shut down, just like in that first meeting. I sat through the meeting, tapping my foot, doing that thing, head not in the meeting, couldn't wait till the end of the meeting. And at the end of the meeting, I'm making a beeline for the exit to get out of there. And this guy heads me off. He says, how would you like a coffee commitment? And I felt like saying to this guy, how would you like me to kick your ass? You know, I was so scared and so freaked out. And of course, I would never say that to him. I just think these terrible things. But what I did say to him instead is I couldn't take the coffee commitment because I was only going to be there two weeks. And without missing a beat, this guy saved my life because he came back at me and said, okay, we'll take it for two weeks. And I couldn't come up with a lie fast enough, you know, and I felt so caught out. I felt so caught out. What I would have loved to ask that person I was all those years ago is, where are you going now, Sia? Where do you have left to go? At that point in my life, I had been disowned by my family. I had been uninvited to one entire country. Thank you very much. I uh, had a lot of living problems. The thing I did not want Alcoholics Anonymous to know is the fact I happened to be married to two people at the same time that night. You know, I wanted to treat it like an accounting problem but the people involved just wouldn't cooperate. You know, what do you mean you lost count, Sia? It ain't a high number, one, two. You know, I just had no explanation anymore for how, how I got where I got to, to myself or you. And so I don't know what happened in that meeting, but I'll tell you what I think happened in that meeting. I think it is the $100 word in my sobriety, the unicorn of my sobriety. I think I surrendered. And I think I was surrendered in that meeting by the sobriety in that meeting. And the only way I can describe that experience is, is it was like drowning. And you know something, I'm an excellent swimmer and I was drowning one time. I underestimated the situation, just like I underestimated alcoholism. And I was drowning and the body fights. You know, it wants to live, it's an instinct and it fights and it fights and it fights. And then there was like nothing left. And I was just gonna drift down where I'd end up. And suddenly out of nowhere, there was something to stand on and I could get my head out of water and I lived. And it is that that Alcoholics Anonymous is to me. Such a surprise in my life. Thank you for my sobriety. Thanks for the 12-step call.